We are looking at Matthew, the uh, fifth chapter this morning, verse 48. Very simple verse of scripture. Jesus is speaking and he says this to his disciples. He says, be perfect. (laughs) Nothing like a little standard. Be perfect, he says. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, when you read a verse like that, you think, what? What is he saying? How in the world could anybody be perfect? Clearly he knows we're imperfect. The people he was speaking to were imperfect. But even in spite of all of that, he still says our standard is to be perfect like God is perfect. Why would he do that? Because he knows by holding up the true standard, it helps people to rise up to the standard that God wants to wants us to live at. We live in a culture today where people think exactly the opposite. They think the way to encourage people is to lower the standard. Get it lower. Keep dumbing everything down. We have that problem in a lot of uh, educational systems today where people think, well, the way to help children's self-esteem is to keep dumbing everything down so people can succeed at, at a higher level. But in doing so, it just helps more people to fail. And then we just all be successful at being mediocre instead of being our very, very best. I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago how Pastor Lathan and I went down to Phoenix or Scottsdale, Arizona and was meeting with this group of significant churches. There are 12 churches that were invited to come together. These are some of the largest churches in America. You know, Willow Creek, Saddleback, uh, Joe Osteen's church uh, down in Houston and, you know, some major, major, huge mega churches and uh, other churches as well. And ours was one of the churches that was invited to be part of that. The whole thing was uh, hosted or or not hosted, but sponsored by uh, Focus on the Family. And uh, how when we got there, the big fight was, you know, that uh, we can't define a family. You know, that they felt that if you define the ideal family as a mom and a dad, you're going to make everybody else feel bad. You know, those who don't have ideal families. And, uh, of course, I was just mortified by this. Actually, I had left the impression to a lot of people that focus on the family was pushing it. They're not. They were as mortified as I was. Uh, They were very, very nice to us. We all kind of hang out freaking out over this blatant stupidity that was uh, taking place and uh, but these guys you know they felt well you can't do that you can't you can't say that you might make people feel bad so so we're in a place i thought good night here i with the biggest churches in america evangelical supposedly bible believing churches and they can't say an ideal family is a mom and a dad because they're afraid somebody might feel bad i think oh good night what has happened? And one guy says, yeah, you can't do it. There's 28 different kinds of families. And, and for weeks afterwards, we, we couldn't figure out, how would they get to 28? You know, families with chickens, families without chickens. I don't know. What's a, you know, what kind of stupid statement is that? And, um, you, know, uh, you know, I've just finished doing a whole series on what it means to be the kind of men and women God wants us to be. I've spoken a lot about marriage and family, raising children, even about being single. And I've done my best to lay out for you what I believe is God's best. Here's the standard. Here's where God wants us to be. Particularly for our young people. So they can start doing this right. And not get messed up and start making bad decisions. But as you preach the ideal, oftentimes people do stop and say, Well, wait a minute. What, what if things aren't ideal? What if I've made mistakes? 
What if I've already complicated things by doing life in an unbiblical way? You know, perhaps you're already in a second, third, fourth marriage. Maybe you have blended families and are dealing with that whole struggle. Maybe you're a single mom, a single dad, and, and dealing with the challenges there. Uh, maybe you're having to raise your grandchildren because your kids are nowhere to be found. Um, lots of unideal situations that uh, you think, well, okay, I see what you're saying about the idea, but what about us that are not? in an ideal situation and that's what today's message is about how to succeed even when things are not ideal as a result a lot again as a lot of people try to stay away from the ideal because they don't want people to feel bad but uh, I got a little object lesson I want to do with you this morning and I'll play the guitar <laughs> now keep in mind it's been years since I have Try to seriously play a guitar, but, but you'll get the point this morning. Little solo. Rusty, but that's okay. You get the basic idea. Now, I play. I play the. I play the guitar since I was like 12 years old or something like that. And uh, and, and I can play okay. I play probably better than most average people by 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 far. I think I can't play as well as guys who can really really play well. But uh, um, I, I want you to notice something. Some of you caught it uh, because you're, you you watch these sorts of things. But a lot of you probably are not aware that I'm playing the guitar wrong. It's supposed to be played like this. All right? You say, well, why don't you play it like this? Because I can't. (laughs) Well, is this ideal? Yes, it is. It is the ideal way to play. It's the proper way to play. It's the best way to play. People who learn how to play like this and go on can become some of the greatest guitar players in the world. But I can't do it. I can't even play lousy this way. But for some bizarre reason as a kid, I could play like this. I would just turn it upside down and say, well, do you reverse the strings? No. I play it just completely, absolutely upside down and backwards. <laughs> and, and I can play. And I... And I like playing and it's fun to play and I like making music and stuff. What I don't do is get discouraged because I can't play it right. You see. See, I've discovered that even though you can't play it ideal and, and, and my son, he plays much better than I do, but I didn't teach him to play upside down. I didn't want him to play upside down. I wanted him to play the right way. Why? Because he can play better if he'll do it the right way. I will teach my grandchildren to play it the right way. 
And while I want them to do the best that they can and do things ideal, on the other hand, I don't give up because I can't play it the right way. I just play it the best way that I can. And for me, it allows me to make music and enjoy music. Actually, much of my life has been very, very unideal. Uh, most of my music uh, that I've learned has been not ideal. I, I did take lessons when I was a kid but on the saxophone. And the saxophone, you know, you play one note at a time. You can't play really more than one note at a time on a saxophone. So I learned how to read music just one note at a time. Uh, when I was 18 years old, um, I, Debbie and I were traveling in, a, in an evangelistic team all over the United States and Europe. And we were in a band, and I played the guitar upside down and, you know, doing my whole thing. And uh, the band I was in, all of a sudden, the piano player and organ player disappeared, and someone had to fill in. And I said, well, I'll, I'll fill in. And that's how I started playing. Uh, but I, I don't read piano music very well, because there's more than one note at a time. And to me, it's one big glob of black, and I, I, I don't get it, you know. But, but one note at a time, I can do, you know. And the rest I have to either learn or make up or memorize. It works. I don't really know what I'm doing, but... Anyway, so... Is it ideal? No, it's not ideal. And I, it's hard for me to read. And uh, if I see a classical piece, you know, it, it's really hard because I, I've got to learn it very slowly and, and memorize it, you know. Now, a normal player who, who knows how to read, they can read that. Me, it took me hours to memorize that stupid little thing okay is it ideal no not ideal but do i just go (laughs) i can't play the right way i'm not gonna play no why because i want to play and i learn and work through it even though it's not ideal a lot of us are in places in life that are not ideal we've done a lot of incredibly stupid things made some really bad decisions and when you hear messages like I've preached about how to do things right it's easy to start thinking you know and start feeling badly but let me encourage you this morning you can still make music God can still use you he might have to turn you upside down and backwards but he can still use you there's still value don't give up the truth is lots of areas in life some of the people who are the greatest successes even in business have done things completely the wrong way completely the wrong way they don't give up they keep working they're consistent they push through now I'm going to want to look at Judges the 16th chapter in the Old Testament this is the story of Samson and Samson was quite the colorful character. Uh, this, this whole period of time in history, uh, there, there were no kings and stuff in Israel. And uh, whenever Israel would get itself in trouble and enemies would come in, God would raise up some kind of a you know, person to represent God. And God would bless them and he would deliver the people from the troubles that they were in. They called them judges. And uh, God uh, 
this, this young boy uh, was born and, and his parents dedicated him to God and made a Nazarite vow, a special vow that he was committed to God. And part of this vow was they would never cut his hair. So he had this very long hair and, uh, um, and God started anointing him and using him to help the children of Israel who were struggling with the Philistines. The Philistines were in town. They were causing all kinds of trouble. They were uh, oppressing the people. And God raises up this young man. And, and anoints him with great power. And he has this incredible physical strength. Now whenever you see drawings or pictures of Samson or movies about Samson. You know it's always an Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of guy. You know ripped and you know all that kind of stuff. But the Bible doesn't say that there was anything unusually physical about him. It doesn't say he was unusually tall or strong in any physical way. Um, the Bible does from time to time when someone does look unusual. They'll say you know talk, describe how tall Goliath was and all that kind of but, But not with Samson. For all we know, he was just a regular girly man kind of looking guy like me, you know. But when the Spirit of God would come on the guy, boom! He did things that were absolutely phenomenal. Nobody could stop him. And he went around and he started causing all this trouble for the Philistines. So frustrating to them. It wasn't like you could just come against an army. It was just one guy. And no matter what they threw at this one guy, he'd beat them every time. One time they had him pinned, they thought it was great. A thousand guys were on top of just him. Samson and one thousand men. He had no weapons, had no nothing. The Bible says he went down and he picked up the jawbone of a donkey. And with the jawbone of a donkey, he wiped out these thousand guys. Man, I hope we got instant replay in heaven because I want to see some of that. It's got to be some jujitsu, you know. You know, who knows what was happening. But the Spirit of God came. Nobody could stop him. But he was, in spite of his successes, in spite of what he was doing, he was a deeply flawed man. And he made lots of wrong choices, bad choices. Yet in the midst of his bad choices, God continued to use him. Now it's not ideal. You don't want to go this route. It cost him a lot. But nonetheless, here's this imperfect person God is using. Talk about a guitar upside down. Samson was it. We pick it up in Judges, the 16th chapter. At the very beginning of the 16th chapter, we see that Samson is is staying with a prostitute. Again, not good decisions, this guy. But even then, he had this great power in the middle of the night. He busted down the gates of the city and tore them off their hinges and just created all this havoc for the Philistines. Well, we pick it up at verse 4, and it says that sometime later... Samson falls in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now again, this was not a righteous woman. It wasn't the right kind of girls. He's hanging with the wrong people, continuing to make the wrong decisions. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and how we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver, a lot of cash. Each one of them would give her all this money. So Delilah, again, not really caring about this guy, just for the money, says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. So she's just kind of curious, at least it seems, at this point. So Samson's just goofing around with her and he says, well, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh thongs that have never been dried, I'll become weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried and she tied him with them. And the men... With men hidden in the room, she calls out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. I presume he kicks all the guys in the room, kicks their butts. 
Then then Delilah says to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come on. Now, tell me how you can be tied. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait one stinking minute. Now, the first time, you could assume she was just curious. Right? But she demonstrates, she takes the information, ties him up, and calls in the Philistines. And then she gets mad at him. Come on, tell me how you can be tied. And this idiot throws some more info at her. Well, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Uh, Now, first of all, she's doing this while he's asleep. I assume he's drunk out of his mind. Okay, I mean, I don't know if how heavy of a sleeper you are, but my guess if I start wrapping you up with rope, you're going to wake up. <laughs> just a wild guess here, all right? But he's not waking up during this. So I, I presume he's getting just totally wasted when he falls asleep. And then she ties him up, all right? So Delilah took the new ropes, tied him up, and then with men hidden in the room again, she calls to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you! But he snaps the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. And again, I presume he kicks all these guys' butts. Then Delilah says to Samson, Until now, you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. (laughs) Oh, man. So he says, Well, if you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on the loom, how one does this, I don't know, and then tighten it with the pin, then I'll become weak as any other man. So, while he was sleeping, again, he's got to be wasted. Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, ouch, and tightened them with a pin. And again, she calls, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and pulled out the pin and the loom and tear everything apart. And I presume again, kicked all of the butts in the room. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? What a nitwit this guy is. When you won't confide in me, this is the third time you've made a fool out of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging. Chip, 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 chip. The Bible says it's better to live alone. Or on the corner of a rooftop. Than with a nagging woman. (laughs) Drip, drip, drip. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Well, again, nitwit, move on for crying out loud. She's trying to kill you. This is a bad choice for you. I don't care if you did find her on (laughs) eHarmony.com. When they're trying to kill you, it's a bad choice. <laughs> so eventually he says in verse 17, he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me 
and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back one more time. He's told me everything. So the Philistines returned with the money in their hands. and Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called in a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before, shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved (laughs) there again none of these people are smart if you know the long hair gave him the power wouldn't you keep shaving the head (laughs) not the brightest bunch of people on the planet his hair begins to grow again nobody's paying attention now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to celebrate saying our god has delivered Samson our enemy into our hands and When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he performed for them. I don't know what he did. I presume they just humiliated him. Things are bad for the boy. Bad choices bring bad results. That's why you teach your children Do it the right way. Well, Samson was still being successful in areas. Sure, but look, the guy has his eyes gouged out. He's in prison. He's being humiliated. There's a better way than this. God never intended this for this guy. Anyway, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand he says put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them now the temple was crowded with men and women all the rulers of the Philistines were there think of this this is like all the leaders of Al-Qaeda all the all your biggest enemies all grouped in one spot everybody is there then on the roof alone there are 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform then Samson prayed to the Lord O sovereign Lord remember me O God please strengthen me just once more and let me With one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and this single man, with great strength again from God, the strength that came through his body, off the charts pushed those pillars on which that entire building was resting on and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived the bible when you read in Hebrews the 11th chapter when it talks about all the different great men of faith they list Samson as one of the great men of faith of whom the world was not worthy however this was not an ideal situation but in the midst of his less than ideal situation he struggled to do the right things and God used him 
all kinds of situations in the Bible that were not ideal. Jonah being swallowed by this giant fish. Not ideal. God never intended him to go that route. He wound up that route because he was running away from God. And wound up on fish cruise lines. (laughs) Joseph's brothers throwing him in the pit. Did God intend for that? Probably not. So well God eventually got him where he needed to be. Yeah. We don't know how God would have gotten him there. He did give him visions that his brothers someday would bow down to him. But God never told him to go stick it in his brother's faces. Hey, look, God's going to do this. He had this vision, you know. He was an obnoxious little brat. Anybody got a brother like that? (laughs) He just enjoyed pounding on. My brother Eddie, he was the guy we loved to pound on in our family. Great fun just to hit Edwin. He was something else. Mary giving birth in a barn. Not ideal. I'll bet you Mary will tell you that wasn't ideal. All kinds of situations. Not ideal at all. We read in the New Testament. Jesus is out there. There's 5,000 men, the Bible says, plus women and children. So there's thousands of people. Nobody's paying attention. Everybody's hungry. He turns around and says, how much food do you got? He says, well, we got two fish. Now, a lot of you are going to have special gatherings this weekend and summer's here and celebrating and Memorial Day weekend my guess is you have all your family and friends over you're going to have more than two bratwursts you're going to plan you're going to think ahead these nitwits got thousands of people together nobody put anything together two fish Jesus could have turned around and yelled at them and hollered what's the matter with you you should have been planning you should have been thinking but even in a less than ideal situation I promise you If thousands of us go on a church camping trip somewhere, we're going to plan ahead for more than two fish. But here they were in a less than ideal situation. And in the midst of this less than ideal situation, God still did a miracle. God still met the need. God can use you no matter where you're at. No matter what you've been through. Even if he has to turn you upside down and strum you backwards. He can use you. You can touch people's lives. Don't be discouraged for where you are. But on the other hand, we're not going to stop holding up the best standard for our children and for our grandchildren. How many of you became believers later in life that you truly gave your life to Christ? Let's see. Yeah, most of you. A lot of us have been through all kinds of stuff. If we were to go around this morning and find out some of the history, a lot of us would be shocked. <laughs> a lot of us made really bad decisions along the way. But you know, we've come to Christ and we're serving God and we're excited. We want to change the world. I've been thinking lately, what if, what if God isn't going to really use us so much as he will our children? What if God's going to do the same thing he did with David, where David was ready to build the temple and God said, no, no, we're not going to use you. You've got too much blood on your hands. We're going to, your son's going to do it. Solomon's going to do it. Maybe what we're supposed to be doing is getting this right and teaching our children right and our grandchildren right so that we can actually have a generation of young men and women who do things right and get this from young time until older men and women and then with a history of doing things right, the power of God moving in them. Maybe the real turnaround is going to come with the next generation. Maybe the Lord's going to tear. We don't. Jesus is going back tomorrow. Nobody knows. But maybe. What if? 
That's why we need to hold a high standard. That's why we need to teach things right. That's why we need to do things right. And instruct our young people right. But whenever you hear that, don't get discouraged thinking it's too late for you. It's never too late. God can always use you. You might have to work harder at it. I dare say a lot of us struggle with things, God willing, our kids will never struggle with. Because of the bad choices they've made. Think of how much time and energy you waste just struggling with bad decisions in your past, even as you're serving God. What about a generation of young men and women who don't burn tons of energy dealing with bad decisions because they didn't make any? Because they did things right, because we taught them right and instructed them. Man, what could happen with that? I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward at this time as well as down in the cafe, musicians to come uh, up and get ready to start uh, uh, doing our time of communion this morning. Things aren't always ideal, but God can move in spite of the ideal. Talk about things not being ideal. The most not ideal situation we all have to deal with is the fact that mankind has been poisoned by sin. Talk Talk about not ideal. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And that spirit of disobedience was passed on to all generations after them. The Lord warned them. He said, you know, the day you do, if you do this, the day you do it, you're going to die. Well, interestingly, they took of the fruit. They disobeyed God, but they didn't die right away physically. Actually, it took hundreds of years before they died. Was God not right? No, he was right. The day they did it, they did die. But not physically. They died spiritually. And they passed on that spiritual death to every man woman that's ever been born into the world since then you see the Bible says that we're three parts kind of like God we're made in the image of God we have a body we have a soul our, our, our intellect our emotions and then we have a spirit but when we're born into the world because of sin we're all born stillborn physically you're alive mentally you're alive but spiritually you're born dead that's why people struggle, you know, throughout life. They can tell something's wrong. Something's missing. Something's not quite right. What, what's missing in my life? What's missing? And they try all kinds of things. Some turn to drugs, thinking that'll help them come alive. Some to alcohol. Some to, you know, to money. Thinking, boy, if I just get enough money. You know, some people think, well, if I can just find the right boy in my life, the right woman in my life, that'll make me happy. And they're chasing, the, constantly struggling. What is it? What is it that's not quite right? I'll tell you what it is. You're dead. You're dead in sin. So how do you fix that? How do you come alive? By putting your hope and trust in Jesus. You see, Jesus died on the cross. We're going to celebrate that now as we do take communion. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. Wrong cue. We're going to, we're going to, he said, now, and he came forward. But Jesus died on the cross. That's what we're celebrating. When we, the body of Christ broken for us. His blood shed for us. Why? So that we can have forgiveness of sin. And then his spirit breathes life into us. Jesus called it being born again. That's what we're talking about when people say, born again, born again Christian. What's that mean? That means that spirit part of you all of a sudden comes to life. He takes away the weight of sin. He breathes his life into it. It's like all of a sudden, for the first time, you're truly complete. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He made it possible for us to truly be alive. I'd like all of us to bow our heads in a word of prayer before we take communion this morning. If you have never had that experience before, if you've never truly surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer along with us. And if you'll mean this from the very bottom of your heart, Jesus will come into you. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll breathe his spirit into you. 
and you can be born again. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. To breathe your spirit into me so I can be born again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.